Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Amen. We're glad you're here. In the month of February, on this first Sunday, as we kick off the series, Won't You Be My Neighbor? You know, Jesus, in his summation of the entire Old Testament, in Matthew 22, he's asked by the Pharisees, what is the greatest, or a teacher of the law, the greatest commandment? And Jesus said to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he said the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And in a world that is so selfish, it sounds counterproductive to tell Christians to love themselves. But let me tell you, you have permission to love yourself and it's commanded you love yourself before you can love your neighbor. If you don't love yourself, then you can't love yourself as your neighbor. You'll love yourself uh, this level, you love your neighbor this level. And so what we're going to do throughout the whole month is communicate what it means to be a neighbor, what it means to be a neighbor. If you have a Bible, go with me to Romans chapter 12. I want to welcome those that are streaming live today. Thank you for joining us, and uh, we pray God's Spirit speaks to you. I know you can't virtually get a message card, but if you have the Version app on your phone, you can uh, turn to the Version app and follow along with us in uh, today's message. I have one verse in today's teaching text, Romans chapter 12, verse 10. I want to say thank you, Gigi the whole team for leading us today, and uh, really, really grateful for their leadership. Romans 12 and 10, notice what the text says. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. True translation here is to outdo one another in showing honor, in showing honor. I'm going to give a very simple message today, but it's dense. It's dense, but it's simple, and it's a talk on honor that I have entitled A Haven of Honor in Woodstock, Georgia. A Haven of Honor in Woodstock. This uh, message has been quite for some time stirring in my heart. I've had several experiences this year and years past where I've been looking, if you will, for language to articulate what I've experienced, what I have been deterred from, what I've hoped for, The good of it and the bad of it. And I have come to the conclusion that I just want to pastor and I want to be a part and I want to belong to a church community that is a haven of honor in a culture of contempt. A haven of honor in a culture of contempt. I'm deeply concerned, as most of you are, about the lack of honor in our culture. Our Western culture is a dishonorable culture. One thing that put this on my radar was a few years ago, I was in Nashville attending a large assembly of thousands of people. And I was in that assembly sitting at the table with the speaker. The female was about to get up and declare and and present in front of these thousands of people. And they were having all kinds of technical difficulties in the room. And I was sitting at the table again with one of the speakers and she was about to go up and the mics were going in and out. And the lady turned to the table and said something, said words that really jarred me. They really jarred me. She said, how dishonoring. How dishonoring. To me, to the rest of the people. How dishonoring. And in that moment, I'm thinking, okay, because I've been in these cultures a long time. I'm thinking not how dishonoring. I'm thinking that sound guy, who, because he's been hired, is about to get flogged. After this event, I've been there. I've I've been in many, many of those meetings. Or I'm thinking, how embarrassing. And I thought, how neat. We're sitting in the same room and she has a framework of honor and dishonor. I was going through an airport terminal and I got in the airport terminal and got in the tram, the underground subway part at Hartsville Jackson, right? International Airport. And and it's a typically stressful time traveling, right? Most of the time, it's pretty typically stressful. And so this mom hops on the train with a kid. The kid could have been no more than eight or nine years old. And the kid is reasonably excited about life and living. And so they're kind of bouncing around the tram and they're fidgety and hitting into other people. And this tension's building. Have you ever been in public spaces like this when the kid's doing this and there's a mom there with him? And everybody's like, you know, totally disinterested, looking at their phone, but they're feeling this tension in the room. And all of a sudden, in an effort to 
restrain him, she yanked at him, and he slapped her arm and looked at her and said, F you. Now, that's exactly what happened. Everybody else that was in the terminal that was a nice, southern, disinterested, don't make eye contact person in the tram is like, I mean, everybody's like, what's about to happen? You know what happened? The mom hung her head in shame, and the son just looked out the subway car. And I remember thinking, I am on the front row of the decline of Western civilization. I'm seeing it with my own eyes. We live in a culture of contempt. You remember Evergreen State College several years back? You remember when Evergreen State College, you had a, a minority issue, a min, uh, a, a kids were begin to protest, and they're berating their professors, taking pictures of them, tweeting videos of them. If you remember this a few falls ago, because I'm sure you all follow the rise of postmodern deconstruction through our university system in America. And so if you pay attention to that type of thing, you see these kids that are just absolutely berating their professors. I mean, just horrible language. And I'm thinking, do you realize how much debt these professors have gone through? And you just started your debt. They've been paying off their debt for 30 years to your professor. They've read, read widely for 30 years and you have the audacity to look at them and point. They're just trying to impart wisdom to you and life to you. And they're sitting there berating and swearing them. And I thought that's the same spirit in those college kids that was in that eight or nine-year-old in the tram that day. Then you have Rashida Tlaib. Rashida Tlaib, the new House Democrat, newly elected House Democrat, who when she steps to the lectern to accept it, she makes a comment when Donald Trump was president and it starts a firestorm. firestorm. She said, hey, I'm so excited to have your confidence to be elected. And she said, we're going to now go in and impeach this mother effer. National television. Now, when I hear that, I'm not surprised at the swearing Okay, all politicians, most politicians cuss. They swear. What I'm surprised about is she said that on national television about the president of the free world. I'm sitting there with my jaw dropped open saying, like, where, what has happened to Western culture? Where is the honor? Now, honor is a word that Christians use more than the culture around us. And there's a good reason for that, because honor is in the Bible a lot. But in Western culture, modern society, we don't use it that much. Maybe you've heard of something called an honor killing. Next slide, an honor killing. Now, what is an honor killing? An honor killing is something that happens in a shame and honor culture. Now, in a shame and honor culture, which happens here in the Deep South, you can, you can study this for, for, for uh, scores of years, but also in other cultures of the world, in shame and honor cultures, if a person from a family causes shame for your family, then what you do is somebody in your family member has to go and exterminate and kill that person. It's the only way you can preserve your own honor. Your family's honor will not be preserved unless you kill anyone who causes shame for your family. Okay, You, may, you can study shame and honor cultures. And so we hear about an honor killing. Sometimes, can I just be honest with you, this culture of honor stuff can be abused in the church. I'll, I'll admit that, okay? Where at least for the last 20 years, celebrity pastors that are a part of usually large mega churches, they consciously make everything about them, and they are the only ones that receive honor with inside the church. And let me tell you what that does. I want you to hear my heart with this. Let me tell you what it does. I think it's the enemy's tool to make us stop the legitimate value of honor being a part of our operating system. So what the enemy does is he takes honor, throws everybody to the opposite side so that he dismisses the legitimate value that Jesus and the Word of God places on honoring one another. So what I want to do today is I want to talk about what honor is, and then I want to tell us why it matters. We just heard a verse from Romans 12.10 that commanded us to outdo one another in honor. So what Paul's trying to do, listen to me, is he's trying to get the Roman Christians to do something. And listen, Peter repeats this. Jesus talks about this. So hear me. There is something here that we need to unpack, that we need to really look at. So let's start by talking about what honor is. Let me define it for us. Honor is the recognition of the value, contribution, and importance of others. That's what honor is. 
The recognition, the alignment of the value, the contribution, and the importance of other people. Now, in the New Testament, the word honor means to esteem or to hold in high, great respect, or to place value on a person. Watch this, church. you got to see this. Glory is the implicit value something possesses, but honor is your personal choice to recognize that value. Are you with me? So glory implicitly is in whatever is glorious. Honor then becomes the personal volitional choice or will of an individual to recognize and align their life, their desires, ambitions, all of that under that reality of glory. Now hear me. God's glory is not diminished whether you recognize him or not, okay? His glory will not be diminished. C.S. Lewis, I love C.S. Lewis. He said, he said, hey, the sun's great. You don't believe in it? That's your loss. Hey, 93 million miles away, sending 186,000 miles per second sun to hit me on the skin with 4.5 million horsepower per square inch produces vitamin D in my body. You won't diminish the sun one bit by recognizing it or not recognize it. It's your loss. The same is true for God. God's glory is not diminished when mankind does not honor or recognize it. But honor is your personal choice to recognize the inherent value within God himself. So let me give you some examples of how honors, honor works. You guys celebrate Mother's Day, right? Yeah? Where you're, you honor your moms in May, the ones who went through horrific, 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 even with an epidural horrific, pain, just so you could be here. Y'all, and that was just the start of your relationship, before diapers even. That's just how the thing started. Your mom almost dying to get you here, okay? I mean, that's how this whole thing works, right? On the edge of life and death for you to be here. So what do we do? We honor our moms. We honor our moms. Or maybe you've seen this at an airport. This, to me, is the most deeply moving thing. You're at an airport, and someone comes back from military service, and they're walking through the terminal or the tarmac. What happens? The entire environment, atmosphere of believers and non-believers shifts instantaneously. Why? Honor. What happens? They're walking through the tarmac, and what happens? People stop, and they start giving a standing ovation. What are we doing in that moment? We are recognizing the value of someone else's contribution. We are declaring, thank you. You are valuable for what you have done. So watch this. Glory is rightly seeing Honor is rightly aligning. Glory is rightly perceiving. Honor is rightly recognizing. We have to make that choice. Now, granted, in our world, we banter around that word honor. And sometimes I think we think honor is just a peripheral issue to the Christian faith. Can I just be honest for a moment? We think, you know what? I heard that sermon on honor one time, you know, back at the beginning of February 2021 at Dwelling Place. But, you know, and it was kind of a good sermon. We kind of talked about it a little bit in Connect Group and stuff. But let's just go on to the next series. Now, listen. Honor is not peripheral to the Christian culture. You need to hear it. It is not a peripheral issue. Honor is central to Christian community. And it's central to even the statement, the teachings, the desire, and the personhood of Jesus. Having a culture of honor is central. We are, can I just take it a step up and ante up? I want to tell you what I believe. I believe that we are called by God to have this as an operating system in our lives. That God is wanting to download this into us and it becomes something that we live out of. Listen to me. Honor is the operating system of the kingdom of God. It is. So I want to show you through some passages right quick the place of honor in the design of God. How God designed life. First one, honor is your future. Honor is your future. Honor is my future. Follow me, guys, on the the screen. Honor is our future. Look at uh, Revelation chapter 5, verse 11 through 14. Think about our future being one of of honor. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 upon 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength. And watch this, honor and glory and praise. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth, back just one, sorry, under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, watch this, be praise and honor and glory and power forever 
and ever. Now notice this next part. After all that, that reality, the four living creatures, whatever you believe about the four living creatures or what are they, we know they're heavenly beings. What could they do? They say, amen. And what's the response to that? The elders bowed down and worshiped them. Listen, honor is your future. Your whole future eternally will be filled with honoring God. Honor is our destiny in the kingdom of God. It's the destiny of the human race. Not only that, honor is how the Trinity treats each other. Honor is how the Trinity, the Godhead, communicates to one another. If we could eavesdrop upon the conversation from the Father to the Son, to the Son to the Spirit, to the Son to the Spirit to the Father today, what we would find is one whose lips are full of honor, full of honor. In fact, this is why Jesus said, if you want to honor the Father, you must honor me. John chapter 5, notice what it says, verse 22. Moreover, Jesus speaking, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. By the way, most controversial verse and problematic verse for Jehovah's Witnesses. Put it in your pipe. Get it ready on your front porch, okay? If you're going to honor the Father, you have to honor the divinity of the Son. And if you want to honor the divinity of the Son, you must honor the divinity of the Father. This is a problematic verse for Jehovah's Witnesses, right? The relationship of the Trinity is one of honor. Not only that, but creation honors God. Even the natural world honors God. Look at Isaiah chapter 43, verse 20. The wild animals honor me, God said, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness. Have you ever been on your back porch swinging away? Have you ever been on your front porch rocking away? I was deer hunting in a tree stand this year, and an owl came up right next to me. And I just started thinking, what do owls do in their spare time? That's all they really have is spare time. Oh, I know. They honor God. That's what they do. Jackals honor God. People are the only ones that refuse to do it. The whole natural order honors God, honors its creator, honors with its spare time the God who has created them. Not only that, we're created to honor God with our bodies. We're called to honor God with our bodies. 1 Corinthians 6 18 through 20, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But if you sin sexually, sin against your body. Do not know your bodies to the temples of the spirit who's in you. You receive from God. Watch this. You're not your own. How about this verse to fly in the face of radical Western individualism? You are not your own. That should go in every refrigerator and every bumper sticker. Okay? You mean you don't get to make your decisions? You don't get to choose where you want to live? You don't get to just choose your career and vocation? If you're a follower, you were bought with a price. You're not your own. You're not your Lord. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Not only that, we should honor God with our first fruits. We should honor God with our wealth. We should honor God with our resources. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim with new wine. How about that? Who wants 2021 to be a time and a place and a season where your vats brim over with new wine? I know I want that. I have to honor God with my, my wealth. Not only that, but all, all of human culture should honor God. How do you like that? All of human culture. This is what the text says. Now, I want you to see something. This is fascinating to me. Isaiah chapter 60. Let me give you some context. This passage in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah is making judgments on two groups of people, the people of God and pagan nations. Now, watch this. One of the judgments he makes on pagan nations in the book of Isaiah is he says, your technology has made you arrogant. That's what he says to the pagan nation. Your technology has made you arrogant, and it's made you think that you, don't, you can save yourself and you don't need me. Now, what was that piece of technology? i got to be careful how I say this because I can say something in church I'm not supposed to say. This is the technology he's talking about, the ships of Tarshish. He said, the ships of Tarshish are your technological advances that are leading you away from me. So these evidently were staggering boats. And watch this. God rebukes the pagan nation for thinking that their ships of Tarshish would be able to save them. Now watch this. With that framework, Isaiah chapter 60, watch what 
God says about the ships of Tarshish. Who are these that fly along like the clouds, like doves to their nest? Surely the islands look to me. In the lead are the ships of Tarshish, bringing your children from afar for their, with their silver and gold to the honor of the Lord your God. Are you, are, you, are you seeing what I'm seeing? God has taken the very broken human culture and has redeemed it. The very instruments created by pagan nations to take people from God, God redeems and gets his own children back on the ships to come back home to God. What are you saying? I'm saying God will redeem every Facebook post. God will one day redeem every Instagram story. It is all for the glory and the honor of God. It don't matter what it is that is in our modern world that takes people from God. God one day will use every one of them to bring honor to himself. So all of human culture honors God. All of it. All of it. We're not only that, we're called to honor God-ordained authority. God-ordained authority. Romans 13, 7. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe them taxes, give them taxes. If you owe them revenue, give them revenue. If it's respect, give the people respect. If it's honor, give them honor. This is a major problem, y'all, with this generation. They don't, any teachers in the room, you know what I'm They don't know how to honor God-ordained authority. Yeah, but Pastor Craig, people in history, they've never had leaders like these. Uh, have you ever heard of Nero? Okay, sorry. A little bit different than Joseph Biden or Donald J. Trump. Have you ever heard of a man named Domitian? who cut Christians' heads off and then lit them on fire to be lampposts for the Roman cities. And Paul and Peter said, honor the ones cutting your heads off. Honor them. They're God-ordained authority. These emperors were atrocious. Not only that, but husbands are called to honor their wives. Honor their wives. Look at 1 Peter 3 and 7. Husbands, in the same way, honor your wives. Or be considerate. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner. And his heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, some of y'all are like, (laughs) you read that in postmodern feminism and it's like, this is awful. Women aren't weaker. Hear me, hear me, and understand that. This is what makes interpreting scripture challenging. If you read this in the first century, it was a slap in the face. You'd say, it it obviously, let me read it again. Because you never honored a woman or a wife in the first century. It was a patriarchal society, way more than Western society. And you would think the text would see wives honor your husbands, but that's not the call. The call is for husbands to honor your wives. So that what? Your prayers won't be answered. Some of you women are like, I, 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 keep on running your mouth. God ain't going to hear you this week. Keep on, keep on. Give it to him, give it to me. He... Then we honor your father and mother, Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Honor your father and mother. Next one, honor those who teach and lead well in the church. We honor them. How many of y'all like 1 Timothy 5? Yeah, but we don't ever quote this verse. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially of those whose work is preaching and teaching. I'm just the messenger today. This is not my words, okay? It's not even my text. I'm just the messenger. I'm just delivering the pizza. For scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading the grain. And the worker deserves his wages. Here's the point I'm trying to make, y'all. Honor is your destiny. Honor is in the Godhead. Honor is in creation. Honor is in human sexuality. Honor is in marriage. Honor is in parenting. Honor is in the family. Honor is in all of human culture. Honor is in the church. Honor is the operating system of God himself. So if you don't get honor right, you don't get the Christian life right. Now, we live in a cultural moment, y'all, that is doing a staggering job of deconstructing honor. God has designed a world built on honor, and it actually leads to godliness and godly order and human flourishing. Now, now lean in a moment. The call of human beings is what? To take chaos and to bring order out of it, and so that things can lead to flourishing. So, So, you ready? Ordering chaos... For human flourishing is the human job description. Yet we live in America where we currently have people deconstructing order with all of their power to revert back to chaos. So it is true that we could say we live in a moment of anti-culture. 
We live in a culture of contempt and a culture of dishonor. Honoring God, honoring the truth, honoring one another, saying F you on trams, honoring, honoring family, all of that is being deconstructed in our kids' minds and hearts from the very beginning. Now, let me just ask, our, ask ourselves the question. How's that going for us, America? How, how is the power of deconstruction working for us? There are tremendous dangers in dishonor. The first thing, if you're a believer, and I want you to hear me, particularly if you're a leader in the body of Christ, hear me. There is a discipline, a harsh discipline that comes from God when you set an environment that resolves not to honor God. I want you to see God's words. Look at Malachi chapter 2. And now you priest, God said, this warning's for you. If you don't listen and you don't resolve to honor my name, I will send a curse on you and I'll curse your blessings. I've already cursed your blessings because you've not resolved to honor me. Watch this. Because of you, I'll rebuke your descendants and I will smear, smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices and you're going to be carried off with it. And you'll know that I've sent this warning so that my covenant with Levi may continue. My covenant was him, a covenant of life and peace. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. Next slide, what's this? And he says, for the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he's the messenger of the Lord Almighty and seek instruction. But you've turned away and your teachings caused people to stumble, stumble and you violated the covenant. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated. I've caused you, my people, to be despised and humiliated before all people because you've not followed me. So God literally looks at them and says, hey, I'm going to wipe dung on your face and you will be a disgrace and an embarrassment to me. I don't know how to say this more soberly, but I want you to hear me. When you look at much of the church in America today, it has dung on its face and it's an embarrassment to God Almighty. This kind of preaching doesn't happen in Western churches. God says, I'm going to get dung and I'm going to smear it on your face. So if you don't want to keep smelling dung, you better resolve to honor me. Do you, did you hear that? That's what God said. You resolve to dishonor me. So there's discipline. If you're a leader in the body of Christ, there's discipline when you dishonor God. But at a personal level, what dishonor does is it creates what I call dysfunctional communities. This is defined by a culture of contempt. Now watch this. If honor's recognizing value... Contempt is a lack of respect for something valuable. Now, you psychology majors, let me deviate a minute. You're going to get excited, okay? If you're a psych major, what, when psychologists try to organize the human experience, which is hard, they organize the human experience or the human emotions into six main categories. Six main categories. Now, there's all kinds of shoots off of that, but six main categories. Now, in the category of anger, there's a little bit of nuance, and I want you to listen to this insight from Robert C. Solomon. This is so powerful, okay? This is what Robert C. Solomon says. He says, I place contempt on the same continuum, same category as anger and resentment. So you see those three, contentment, resentment, anger, all in the same category of anger. Watch this. And, oh, I'm sorry, back just one more. He argues that the difference between these three are this. I want you to see this. Resentment is when you have, is anger directed towards a higher status individual in your life. Anger is directed towards an equal status individual in your life. And contempt is anger directed towards a lower status individual in your life. Watch. When you show contempt for someone, you are literally lowering the value you think they have as a human being. You are judging them. You cast them off with a lower value in your mind and your heart thinking that, thank God I'm not like them. People say, well, I would never do that. We live in a culture defined by doing these three things. This is, this is how we relate to each other. Take politics, for example. Take politics. People who vote differently than you, what do you think about them? Oh, that's easy, Pastor Greg. I think that they're intelligent. I think they're kind. I think they're so loving. I think they're so smart, <laughs> so compassionate. They just must be right, you know? <laughs> no, we're like, oh, how in the world? world could someone actually vote for that candidate i'm so glad i'm not like that what do we do we put them into a lower category we distance ourselves from them and we take away from them inherent value and dignity however it gets worse thank you solomon let's go on to the next statement he continues on and he says next next slide contempt has a certain comparative element 
In David Hume's studies of contempt, he suggests that contempt essentially requires apprehending the bad qualities of another person as they really are. Then you have to simultaneously make a comparison between that person's badness and your goodness. Because of this reflexive element, reflexive, it's not intentional. It's just how you do. It's just reflexive. Contempt also involves what we might term a positive self-feeling of the contemptuous. You know what that means? You feel good judging others. We see the deficit in them. We move away from them. We move us away from them, them away from us, and then we feel good that we are not like them. Now, pause. Who in the Bible, what groups of people in the Bible judge people, lower people's values, and then attack them? Satan and the Pharisees. That's the only two groups of people. So what does that mean? It means there's no place for dishonor in the operating system of the kingdom of God. Now, what we think is, oh, I can be formed by that, and then I step into church, and it's all gone. No, we got people formed by that, and then what happens is we step into our churches, and we have been formed by this culture of contempt. So I don't know if y'all know this or not, but churches have conflict. I mean, if we're aware of that. So what happens is when you step into some tension or conflict, here's what you do. Because you've been formed by this, you show fickle commitment to the local church, and then you show contempt for the people Jesus died for. I wanted to send Robert C. Solomon an offering when I read that in his book. That is America. That is America. So what's the result of this? The church looks nothing like the community God has in mind. And the results are terrible results of a culture of dishonor. Can I just give you three of them in the, in the church? Here's the terrible results or consequences of dishonor. Number one is division. It feels like, man, there's just irreconcilable division in our world. But inside the church, it also results in deep discouragement. Everybody say discouragement. People show up and they're drained of life and they're like, oh, these are the people that love one another, right? Oh, they only do that in theory. They only do that in theory. Mother Teresa said this, we've, we've grown so used to each other in the church that people feel free to say anything and anyone at any time. And they, we expect every other person to bear anything we speak into their ears. Why don't you hold your tongue you know how much you can bear, but you don't know how much your neighbor can bear. Won't you be my neighbor? Worse than that, we actually thirdly diminish the potential of the people of God. We diminish the potential of the church. Now you think, I would never do that. Well, look at what people did with the ministry of Jesus. Two texts. First one's in Mark chapter 6. Let's see if they dis or diminish the work of Jesus. Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples and the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many heard him were amazed. Where did the man get these things? What's the wisdom that's been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Shift! Isn't this the carpenter? Here, watch this family shame. Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Next slide. Jesus said to them, A prophet's not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives in his own home. He could not do many miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them because he was amazed at their lack of faith or honor. Y'all, they were amazed. But then they failed to see that Jesus had inherent value. And they give him family shame. I mean, and isn't the ministry of Jesus miraculous? How, I mean, how awesome is Jesus? Literally, their lack of honor makes him turn off the, the valve, okay? He turns off the, the miracle valve. And then he's walking around, and he's like, oh, God, you're sick, aren't you? All right, be healed, be healed, be healed, be healed, be healed. Be healed. I mean, like, I mean, what would have happened if he would have went to his hometown, and they would have said, you know what? Wow, Jesus, you're the carpenter. Man, this is incredible. God came in a bush in Exodus 3. God came in a pillar of fire in Deuteronomy. Now he's come in a carpenter. Wow, we honor you as the son of man. We honor you as the son of God. Wow, why would you just show us what you can do? You know, my wife's, uh, husband, uh, my wife's um, uh, dad is on a ventilator this week, and, and, and he's just kind of staying consistent. And so there's been times that I've been praying, we're up and down, and it's just been this emotional roller coaster. And finally, yesterday, you know what I did? I just fell, fell to my knees, and I said, God, listen, I honor you as the son of God. I just, just do what you do, God. Show us your glory. 
If the tap is turned off and you heal a few people, what would happen if people got around you and honored you and said, you are the king of kings and you are Jehovah, uh, the, 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 the shepherd, Rohi. You are Jehovah Shema, the one that's present. You are Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, my banner, my victory. God, just, just do what you can do and glorify your name. Glorify your name. What would have happened in Jesus' hometown if the tap was turned on? He might have just straight sent glory on all four corners. Next passage is in Luke chapter 4. Again, this is after Jesus' kingdom manifesto. He gets up and gives this great sermon in the synagogue about Isaiah 61. And then he says, all spoke well of him, were amazed at the gracious words. Shift! Isn't this Joseph's son? Jesus said to them, surely you're going to quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me. Do it here in your hometown what we've heard you do in Capernaum. Now watch what Jesus teaches. Truly, I tell you. He continued, no prophets except in his hometown. I assure you, there were so many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. Remember that? Remember Elijah? You guys esteem him. When the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was severe famine throughout the land. Yet I, God, did not send Elijah to any of those covenantal people. I sent him to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Now watch this. And there were many in Israel with leprosy. This is Jesus speaking. There were many in Israel with leprosy at the time of, of double portion man, Elisha. Yet none of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian who was outside the covenant people. What is Jesus saying? Honor is what gives you access to other people's anointing. And dishonor, next slide, shuts off the access you have to what other people carry in their life. You want the anointing of God to flow through your brother? Honor your brother. Now, now hear me, hear me. People who do not even have the blessing of God covenantally still can access Jesus' power through honor. Did, did, you, did, you, did you just hear what Jesus said? There were all kinds of widows that needed some help. But Elijah went to none of them. He went outside the community of God. Hey, 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 lest you forget, there was a bunch of people with leprosy, but you know what? None of them got healed. You know who got healed? Naaman, the Syrian. What's he saying? What is Jesus saying? When you honor people, you access their anointing. He's saying we get way too familiar with the anointed people around us. We get way too familiar with them. Do you have any idea who you're sitting next to in church this morning? I mean, honestly. Do you know what God could possibly do through the person sitting next to you? And you're like, ah, oh, he'd never do it through them. Isn't he just a banker? Man, isn't he just a teacher? He's a businessman. He fixes cars. Dear God, how's God going to use a car fixer? <laughs> Honor gives you access to another's anointing. Dishonor will restrict it. Look, our vision for this church chose... Our vision for this church is that every person rises to their redemptive potential. And what you have, listen to me, is available for all. But if you don't treat each other properly as brothers and sisters and you don't honor one another above yourselves, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. This is my pastoral heart. If you do not honor one another, then the best of everybody won't be released to everybody. Can you imagine being in a church where the best of everybody is released to everybody else? Why? Because honor is taking place. It's a haven of honor and a culture of contempt where we honor one another. So then listen, if that's true, if that is true, what does a culture of honor look like? What does a culture of neighborly honor look like? What would it look like for us to build a haven of honor in Woodstock, Georgia? Well, the first thing is we've got to get a filter of value. Everybody say value. Now, every encounter we have with every person, we have to have this filter of value. You're familiar with filters, right? Instagram, filters. You take a photo, not that good. Swipe, 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 post. Open it back up two minutes later. Any likes, any likes, any likes, any likes, any likes, any comments, any comments, any comments. How many people have seen the story? How many people have seen the story? Right? Like, like. They actually, I saw on my Facebook feed this week, they make the, the Instagram filters. They print them off and put them in people's glasses. You can buy glasses now with Instagram filters. So you can walk around with like a Ludwig filter all day long. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, imagine the world would get better. Everybody had Instagram filters. 
But what are you saying, Greg? Filters change everything. When we see people, we need the filter of inherent dignity. Everybody say dignity. We need to see through the inherent dignity filter. Look at Psalm chapter 8, verse 4 and 6. What is mankind that you're mindful of them and human beings that you care for them? Watch this, y'all. You've made them a little lower than the angels and you've crowned humans with glory and honor. With glory and honor. I want you to see this. Hear me. Every human being has had a coronation of glory and honor from God. That person sitting next to you in the black chair right now is crowned with glory and honor. You might need to scoot over a little bit because their crown is about to hit you in the side of the head. They have been crowned with glory and honor. Now, let me ask you, I know, joking aside, is that how you view people? I cannot believe I am in the room sitting next to them right now. Oh my, dude, dude, do you know who I sit next to in church this day? Tim, who's Tim? Oh, Tim is crowned with glory and honor. Before he was even formed, God put glory and, you kidding? No, no, I'm not kidding. I'm tweeting right now. I am sitting next to Tim in church right now. Imagine how full our churches would be if we honored people like that. Look at how Clive Staples puts it, the great C.S. Lewis. He said, it's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. That's people. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person at your work you talk to may one day be a creature which if you saw him now, you would be so strongly tempted to worship or a horror and corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one of these two destinations. The most uninteresting person in your life, if right now you could see them in their glorified state, you would be tempted to fall down and worship them. Mic drop. It is the light of these overwhelming possibilities with all and circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, art, civilizations, they're mortal. And their life is to ours is the life of a gnat. But it is to immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. We are talking to people that are immortal horrors, meaning they're going to be immortally horrific in hell or everlasting splendors. I've never met a mere human being. Neither have you. We don't know such thing as mere mortals. So we must have a value filter of what I call inherent dignity over every interaction we talk with. MacArthur, John MacArthur goes on and he says this, and he adds this, I think this is helpful. He says, to, to, to honor is not to flatter, to give hypocritical praise in hope of having the compliment returned or of gaining favor. It's the exact opposite. To honor is to show genuine appreciation and admiration for one another in the family of God. We're to be quick to show respect, quick to acknowledge the accomplishments of others, quick to demonstrate genuine love by not being jealous or envious, which have no part in love. So I had someone ask me, okay, Greg, got it, honor. Can you share what things you see or you try to see when you honor people? I thought that was a good question. So what I did is I thought long and hard, really long and hard about this. And essentially, I have six things that I want to give to you of what I try to see in every person I encounter. Okay. Now, some of these are a little more prevalent, even particularly in the counseling kind of environment. But six things I try to see in everyone I meet with a value of inherent dignity a value, a filter. The first thing I try to see is I try to see everyone's story. Everybody say story. Now, people come from all over to live in Atlanta, right? And they have tremendous stories. Listen to me. Listen to me. Everyone and everybody you meet has been in the third grade. And everyone has had their heart broken and everyone's been deeply insecure and everyone's gotten out of the shower and looked at themselves one day and been fully insecure of their bodies. And everyone's had shame and everyone's been beat up and everybody's just trying to get through this life, everybody you meet with some kind of dignity and they're slapping all that on every morning and they're dragging behind them a giant story and then they show up in front of you. 
And I, when I interact with people, I try to see the story behind the person and the story behind that encounter. Now, some of y'all are going to think this is weird, but, but it's deeply powerful for me. I know it's a bit quirky. But something I adopted several years ago is I try, every time I meet or talk with somebody, I try to picture everybody in kindergarten and everybody at prom. You say, Craig, why? I try to see everyone leaving home with that cute backpack on and their mom or dad have tears flowing as they're walking up to the school and they're about to be released into the trauma of the adult world and that terrified child has socialization upon their waiting docket that day. And then I try to see them after they have been bloodied by middle school and high school and they are dressed to impress in April of their senior year on a Saturday night, ready to go to prom. And they're ready to head into the trauma of the adult world. And I try and see people in these two moments. And let me tell you what it does for me. It produces great compassion in my heart for people. Because there ain't nobody that's not been in kindergarten and there's nobody that's not been bloodied and beat up by middle school and high school. And so I want to see what people have been through. I engage them. I try to see them as a kindergartner. try to see them as a high school student. Here's the second thing I try to see in people is their calling. I try to see their calling. Not only their story, but their calling. What has God called them to? Isn't it amazing to discover what you want to do with your life? That's an amazing thing. As a pastor, I get to be privy to that. When people take giant risk of faith into an area of what they feel called to, that's amazing, y'all. That is something to be honored. And what I try to do when I interact with people is I try to find out people's callings. Because if I find out their calling, I can, I'm a pastor, I'm a theologian. I, I help people with a theology of how to understand their calling. And then you know what I can do? I can come along and understand and support that. So I try to see their story. I try to see their calling. Third thing I try to see in people is their sacrifice. I try to see the sacrifice of people. Anybody who moved here with Meredith and I to help replant this church five years ago, they are in my heart forever. And anybody, you hear me, and I want you to hear this, Pastor Sar. anyone who's in this church that stays at Dwelling Place Church and they grind it out year after year to see God's word come to pass because they believe what God has spoken and they're here to sacrifice and they're here to commit to it, I know and I honor that. You know why I honor that? Because behind every decision to stay is a thousand micro decisions to sacrifice and to say, I believe the word of the Lord and I'm not, I'm not fickle and I'm not going left and right and I believe what God's doing. And they're raising your rent and they're raising your rent and, and again, your salary didn't go up and you're looking at your your check right here and it's a $200 increase and the apartment isn't $200 better than last year they ain't done diddly squat to your apartment and you're thinking why am I going to keep paying this and you sign on the dotted line why because I believe what God has called me to be here to do to participate those moms who come in I saw them today and they got those strollers and they hit those little things in the in the sidewalk out here and they come in and they come in the back of the service and then when I'm preaching they have to go to the back of the sanctuary and then they come back in and then they go check on their babies I honor that because my wife did that while we planted a church with three kids. I honor those mamas. I honor those mamas. What you do matters. What you do matters, dad. I honor that. I try to look at people and honor their sacrifice. Then fourthly, I try to see people's gifts. So I look at them and I say, what are, what are your gifts set? If the, listen, if the Holy Spirit sovereignly gifts people, that means if I don't like someone's gifts, I'm literally saying to God, you did a bad job. I don't know. I would be okay with saying that in my early 20s, but in this point in my life in juncture, I'm not okay with telling God that anymore. So what gifts do they have? What brings you life? What brings you life? So I ask the person, what is it that makes you passionate? Here's the fifth thing I try to see is what authority does that person possess? What authority does they possess? Did you know that every person in the kingdom of God has designated authority from God himself? The person who gets born again in the altar today has authority by this afternoon designated by God himself. So every person has some authority in the kingdom of God. And so I try to see people at their best rising up in authority over the harmful words and circumstances they face. Man, I try to look at somebody and say, hey, you've got victory over 2020 and 2021. And I know you've been beat up and bloody. But listen, I try to see them as overcoming the, the, the circumstances of life to walk in the victory that Jesus has died to secure them. And then sixthly, I try to see their future. I try to look into their future five years or look into their future 10 years. And I think, who could they be if people honor what God has put in them and supported them? Who could they be in the kingdom of God? So listen, it may be this quick. I meet somebody, hi, how are you? How's it going? Good. Child, kindergarten, prom, sacrifice, 
story, calling, future. But then that's why when I talk to him, I'm smiling. I'm smiling. Why? Because I'm thinking, what a magnificent non-mortal being. So we have to have the filter of value, inherent dignity. And there's so much power in a culture of honor. Let me give you two examples before I close. If we have a church of honor, the first value is that it gives us value in conflict. Now, I think you're aware that churches have conflict. Two unsanctified beings trying to work on their sanctification will always bump heads. Okay? Now, watch this. Here's how we normally settle conflict. We typically point out the wrong they've done. We maximize the wrong they've done. We minimize their good. Then we gossip about it. Then we go to another part in the church and get a crew around us to reinforce our position. Then we vilify them, and then we come in for the attack. And y'all, that has produced amazing, tremendous fruit in the kingdom of God. Our church has just gotten so healthy doing that. I mean, it's just amazing. How many people love God and love God more when they get vilified? And I mean, it's it's really, really amazing. But what if we approach conflict this way? Um, Hey, man, look, I realize there's something between you and me. And uh, we need to talk about it. But, but before we say something, and before you say something, before I say something, I, I just want you to know that I value you. Can I, can I just reinforce that? I value you as a person loved by God. God's got his hand on you. I value you. God loves you, so I value you. And secondly, can I tell you real quick, bud? I value your story. Isn't it amazing that God brought us together? We have a shared journey. We've, we've actually crossed paths with one. I see where you come from. And not only that, but I want to honor your sacrifice. Can I just honor that? You've been so faithful. I'm grateful for that. And I also want to know, I want you to know that I honor your place in gifting. Like you have, you have a, an amazing contribution to make to the ministry and to the kingdom of God. And can I just tell you, I, as a result of that, am committed to this relationship. And if you'll hear me, because of all these things, I just feel like we need to talk through this and make things right. So what I want to do is I want to begin by hearing your side of things. How much hope is there in that? Can you think of a thing that happens in our world that we couldn't talk through if we approached it that way? Honor. Honor. Not dishonor, but honor. So here's the principle. In conflict, recognition is the key to restoration. I want to say it this way. Recognizing the value of another person will lead to restoration in that relationship. Listen to me. Whatever person's in conflict with you right now, if you will start recognizing the value in them, it will lead to restoration. It will lead to restoration. Here's the second one. Honor is also incredible in empowerment. Everybody say empowerment. Now look at Jesus. He was able to take teenage fishermen and turn them into apostolic martyrs. Pretty strong leadership development, isn't it? I think John Maxwell might learn a thing or two, right? Pretty strong leadership development? Yeah, right? So Jesus comes up to fishermen who are teenagers, and the question is, why didn't anybody else see that in them, Taylor? Why didn't anybody else see it? No one came up to Peter and said, hey, 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 buddy. Hey, hey, yeah, 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 right here. Look, okay, cool. Hey, those nets are not going to be big enough. You're going to need something else for the purpose I have for you. You're not going to catch fish anymore. You are going to catch people. And you know what Peter does? He's like, ain't nobody else saw that in me. He's like, to heck with these nets. And he throws them and follows Jesus. Now, what happens? Jesus dies on the middle cross. You know what they do? They go back to fishing. You know what Jesus does? He comes up on the shore again and says, you aren't made for fish. You're made for me. And drop the nets again. And what does our king keep doing? He keeps coming after us, and he keeps coming after us, and he keeps coming after us. Why? Because when we honor people, we empower people. And when people get empowered, the kingdom of God gets advanced. So so when we talk about honoring, what is God calling somebody to and perceiving what God's calling someone to and communicating? And Jesus just keeps going after Peter. And Peter ends up, according to faith tradition, ends up being crucified upside down. Y'all, that's like someone from Ardensville, Nebraska, becoming a person of power in Washington, D.C., That's what happens when you get around Jesus. Your future opens up. The horizon of possibility of who you are and what God can do through you goes from here to here.
Y'all, by way of review, I am with you this morning preaching the gospel because as a 16-year-old, while sharing my testimony at an open mic night in Hickson, Tennessee, in a trailer, my youth pastor paused me. He said, Craig, when you speak, people listen differently. I think you might be called to preach his word. And you are here and I'm here because someone saw the potential and honored the calling. And, and, and praise God. And, and, and he prayed a prayer over me. And because he's Pentecostal, he said, I see you preaching before nations and multitudes. I call it the nations and multitudes clause. Pentecostals are never praying. I see you preaching to a local church being faithful for 45 years as a faithful under-shepherd in one single city and living in the same. I mean, it's always nations and, and cultures. Okay? If you get a Pentecostal around you, you will never be called to a neighborhood. You'll be called to nations and multitudes. Okay, So I'll take it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> You'd be Pentecostal. But listen, if this is going to happen, if the power of honor is going to be released in our church, hear me. Every member of DP has to form this culture. Everybody. To honor one another above yourselves, to outdo one another in showing honor. My pastor friend, Shane Pruitt, he has two young girls. They've been desiring to adopt, and they got a call in one day, and the child was theirs. They didn't get a chance to prepare their girls. So they surprised their girls with their brand new sister. Let's watch. Reagan Harper. churches would be packed. We don't know how to honor one another. We've gotten too familiar with one another. A haven of honor in Woodstock, Georgia. Listen, y'all, honor is never built by taking things for granted. It is cultivated. And in a culture of cynicism, honor will be repeatedly attacked and attacked. We must continually build people up in a culture of honor. And again, coming into Connect Group this afternoon, imagine, Tim is here, Tim is here. Oh my God, Tim is here. <laughs> Who else is here? Carrie's here, Carrie's here, Carrie. <laughs> Carrie, Carrie, oh my God, I've been praying for Carrie to be here. <laughs> Stephen Dunn's here. Steve, you're talking about the Stephen Dunn? Stephen Dunn? Oh. <laughs> I'm tweeting right now. I know I'm not supposed to in small group, connect group. Uh, Stephen Dunn is next to my couch pillow right now. He's sitting and leaning against my... Can you imagine the dynamic if God could get a people who would obey his word and honor one another and outdo one another? Because nowhere in Atlanta does this happen. This is the unique thing the church brings to the table. So team, come on. I'm hopefully, what I want to do today is give you some language and tools and paradigms to help you do this, but you have to do it. I can't do it for you. We have to do it for one another. And the final thing is when we build this culture of honor, listen, no one is overlooked. No one is overlooked. Look at 1 Corinthians 12. This is so powerful. I can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker, they're indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special 
honor. We, we treat with special honor. Hear me. Hear me, dwelling place. You all can get a different, a different pastor. You all can get a different preacher. You all can get a different teacher. And you're going to be just fine. But there are other people in this room that are really valuable. And most of you don't know who they are. And it says those people deserve special honor. You don't think they matter? Let them leave and see what kind of dysfunction happens in this community. You, you can get another pastor. But there are people in here that you can't get another one of them. And they are to be treated with special honor. To be esteemed and valued. And finally, leadership is recognized and honored. First Thessalonians 5 says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and admonish you. Hold them in highest regard in love because of their work. Just in your own time this week, Google pastoral depression. It is astronomical because it's hard to be a leader. Leaders take constant criticism in churches because churches are supposed to be a place of love. They're places where people feel like they can say whatever they want and if they don't like it, they'll just go to another church. And then they think in going to another church, it doesn't affect the leaders that they just attended that church. Nowhere else in society can we be that fickle. But we do in the church. Now, I'm doing good. We're having the time of our life. But as we grow as a church, we're going to have more staff. And you know what? I am dead set as the pastor of this congregation. I am dead set that we would have a church where our leaders are honored. That we won't have dishonor for leadership. We won't be dishonorable to the leaders God puts in our life. Why? If we build this culture, y'all, where no one goes unhonored, we're going to have the kingdom of heaven right here in Woodstock. If the moms are honored, the special weaker vessels are honored, leaders are honored, friends are honored, husbands are honored, wives are honored, friends are honored, God, the kingdom of God will break in. Why? Because Jesus grants honor to us all. And the world aches for a culture of the restoration of honor. It's what makes us unique. It's what makes us unique. And I believe with all my heart today. My wife this week kept saying, hey, did you got your message done? And I'm like, I don't have a message. Okay? I have like a revelatory, spiritual, honor, you know, desiring word in me that I've got to get. This honestly has been convicting to me. This has been a before and after sermon for me. This is not me preparing a sermon. This is God revelatory giving me the idea if we will honor one another like this, nothing will stop the advancement of God's kingdom. People will be attracted to that honor, love, acceptance, grace, and forgiveness. So I imagine as you're sitting here today, you have somebody you've dishonored. And I imagine that the Holy Spirit has has made you aware of that. Others of you, maybe you've been living dishonorably in 2020. And today, here's really the deal. All we have to do is recognize and repent and let, let God restore. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.